I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 1 this morning. If you find that, you can stand with me while we read together. Verse 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as He has inherited a more excellent name than they. Let's pray. God, we, we just thank you for just the remembrance of, of your work at the cross and, and the new covenant. Lord, we thank you now that we get to come to your word again and, and just hear that which you have spoken. Uh, Lord, we, we want to have humble and teachable hearts, and I just pray that, um, that your spirit would have his way and that we would just be surrendered to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, for this morning, uh, it's great to be able to be with you all. Uh, my, my family, Heather and, and our two older girls and myself, we leave on our mission trip on Tuesday uh, to, to Chad, so we appreciate your prayers as we get ready to head out for that. Um, yeah, our summer camp just ended on Friday, and so now his hill is very quiet. I was walking around last night some, and it was so strange, not thinking of what strange shenanigans were going on uh, among the, the staff or the students. So, um, But we are eager for the upcoming school year. It looks like we'll have another strong enrollment, so we're thanking the Lord for that. Uh, as, as I've been thinking on this passage, uh, you know, the, the thing that stands out in the very beginning in verse 1, is this reality of God's having spoken. And, and we live in a world that we have so much active communication. Like, in our day and age, communication is so efficient in ways that even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we wouldn't have dreamed would have been so prominent in such a short period of time. Uh, but we live in a world of updates. We're always getting updated about everything. We want to be updated on what's going on. We want to update everybody else. We post online everything that's happening. Oh, by the way, because I know you're wondering, this is the meal I'm having for lunch today. Here's a picture of it. Uh, so you can see what I'm eating because you were curious. And, and we want others to be informed about our lives. And, and we think of how important communication is to us. In something like a long-distance relationship, how important it is to be able to receive that letter, if people wrote letters, uh, how important it is to receive that letter in the mail. You're anticipating effective and clear communication. Because when there's communication taking place, it puts to rest the doubts that we have in our hearts. And God says here that He's done something. He's communicated to us. And the purpose of the communication is to put our hearts at ease that we can be still 
we can know who he is. We can find rest for our soul. That's why God communicates. And he's done that. But so often when we, when we get into and we're walking with Christ, we approach that relationship with the expectations that we have for all of our friends in the internet. Now we want updates. God isn't updating me about our relationship, about where things are at, about what he's doing, about what he's going to do in my life. And we think that because we're not constantly getting updated by the Lord about what he's doing and what he's thinking, then there's some kind of of tension or disagreement, what have I done wrong? And we think that there's something absent or lacking in our relationship. Because the communication doesn't measure up to what we're accustomed to. And yet we come to verse 1, and we see that God speaks. He knows our need for communication because He's designed us to be in His image, and God is a God who communicates. And spoken communication is really important. And we long to hear spoken words that are clear from the people that we are in relationship with, that we're connected with. When raising a child, new parents are always eager and anticipating those first words that the baby's going to say. Those words are monumental. And it's fascinating how the baby can say, bah. And the parents are like, he just said balloon. Did you hear that? (laughs) Because they're so anticipating hearing some kind of communication, because all communication up to that point has just been pure emotion. It's just been screams. And, and the ability to be able to communicate through words allows the parent to then understand more of the child's heart, the way they think, the way he articulates things. And this is all an aspect, an attribute of being made in the image of God, that we want God to be communicating with us We are to be in communication with Him, and as He's communicating with us, we are learning more of His heart towards us. We want clear communication. And we know that things do not go well when we try to assume what somebody else is trying to communicate. When When we have conversations with somebody, or we just walk by somebody on the sidewalk, and we read their facial expression, and we know what they're communicating to us. And this is not an effective way of communication. Like lots of hurt feelings because we try to read facial expressions of other people and we assume, oh, they didn't smile at me, they must not like me. Or they're just thinking about something else. And yet, thankfully, when God speaks, it's clear. He doesn't leave us wondering what he means by that but he speaks clearly and purposefully so that we would understand, so that we would know where we stand in our relationship with him. And so in verse 1, he starts off here and he says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. And I'm going to go pretty slow through these verses this morning. But he starts off here talking about how he's communicated in the past. In the past, he says, the people that he communicated to 
were our fathers, those that have gone before us, the believers that went before us. And in chapter 11 in Hebrews, you can flip over there, he gives an extensive list of who some of these fathers were, these forefathers that have gone before. And he talks about Abraham, and he talks about Sarah, and, and Jacob, and all kinds of people here. But I want to read a little bit about what he, what he says they've been, how God's communicated with them. In chapter 11 and verse 8, I'm just going to read a few verses here. It says, By faith... Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. The land of promise. Something was communicated. As in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Verse 11, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. And we see that these heroes of the faith that we are quick to look to in Hebrews chapter 11 they're those who heard God speak. They knew the promises of God. That God had communicated something, and from His speaking, they then made decisions in their lives and entrusted themselves to Him that were reflective of an assurance that His promises were going to be fulfilled. That when God communicates, His people listen and they believe. How often did God make promises to these people? It's like, how often does he show up to them and talk to them and give them updates of how things are going? Maybe every 10 years. So just for that long-distance relationship, every 10 years for a letter is fine. No big deal. That God, God doesn't just communicate with them on a daily basis, giving them updates, but he's spoken something to them, and he fully expects that the word that he spoke in the past is sufficient for what they're dealing with in the present. That God's having spoken is clear enough to be applicable to their lives today. He doesn't need to update them. And it's interesting, when Abraham determines to go help Isaac find a wife, first of all, it's interesting that Isaac is in his late 30s, early 40s, and dad decides to help him get married. Uh, and he's, he's going to go try to find a wife for his son, and he sends, him, he sends his servant, Abraham does, he sends his servant back to the land that he had come from in Mesopotamia. Because he said, I don't want Isaac to marry from among the Canaanites. But God had never forbade him from doing that. But God had promised him, through you and your descendants, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, through your family. That Abraham had heard the promises of God and the importance of his family, and he concluded, I think rightly, as he looked around at the Canaanites around him and saw their wickedness, he concluded that he needed his son to be married to somebody that was back from his family. Even though God had not clearly communicated that. But God had clearly communicated a promise. And Abraham was making decisions according 
to the promises of God. And so even though God isn't giving weekly updates or daily updates to the patriarchs, to these father, forefathers that have gone before us, He's spoken to them, and they continue to walk by the word which He's spoken. In the wilderness, we remember as the Israelites are waiting at Mount Sinai for Moses to come down, they're waiting for Moses, and it's taking a really long time. It's been 40 days since Moses went up on the mountain, and they assume that he's dead. And so what do we do when we have to start waiting a long time? We find something else to do, so we don't feel like we're just twiddling our thumbs. And this is, I mean, for our summer camp, we have a very packed schedule every day. We have a time slot. If we have more than five minutes of free time, then something's wrong. Uh, we have it really compacted because we know that when, when this, the kids have nothing to do, that's when they start doing things that we would probably prefer they don't do. The structure is helpful for them. And the Israelites, you know, some things have never changed. The Israelites, they had nothing to do for 40 days, so they decide, we've waited. Lord, we're ready to to be and feel effective and intentional in our worship of you, so we're going to go do something to display our worship, our commitment. And they make a golden calf, rather than waiting on the word of God. And so that's how God's spoken in the past. But then he goes on in verse 2, back in Hebrews 1, and he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us. He has spoken. And the tense there is not a, he spoke to us, and it's not, he's going to speak to us, but it's, he has spoken at one point in time in the past, and he continues to speak in the same way today. He has and continues to. So it's not that we're just waiting for him to speak to us again. But the way that he's spoken in the past is the way that he speaks to us presently. And what is the means of his communication? Again, going back to in the past with the forefathers, how did he communicate to them? It says that he communicated to them through prophets in many portions and in many ways. Through Moses, spoke to them through Samuel, through all the major and minor prophets that we have recorded in Scripture. Prophetesses are mentioned. And with these different men and women, God gives them a specific message of revelation to communicate to his people that shows the heart and the mind of God. And these these prophets, they come and they speak the message that God has given to them. And it's interesting and confusing sometimes as you read the prophets about some of the methodologies that God used for their communication. Because it says here in Hebrews that he spoke through, through the prophets in many portions and in many ways. Lots of different kinds of ways that God spoke through the prophets. And he really was big on illustrations. You know, it's like for Isaiah, he gives Isaiah, hey, you need to go make an illustration for the people. You have to walk around naked and barefoot for three years. Have fun. To communicate the point that in the same way, Egypt is going to be ashamed when Assyria comes and conquers them. And for Ezekiel, he tells Ezekiel, your wife is going to have an untimely death. And when she dies, you cannot grieve. You cannot express sorrow publicly. And she dies, and the next morning, Ezekiel gets up, and he goes out in front of people, 
And they think, Ezekiel, how can you be so hard-hearted that you won't even grieve for your own wife? What kind of man are you? And Ezekiel's response from the Lord is, well, when the Lord's temple is profaned, you don't bat an eye. There's no grief at all in your hearts. And it seems hard-hearted that I won't grieve for my own wife. He says, how much more is your hard heart hardened that you don't care for the holiness of God, the greatness of God? And so God speaks through these prophets in different ways, using different illustrations. And yet now in these last days in verse 2, back in Hebrews 1, He's spoken to us in His Son. In His Son. So in the past it was with prophets, but now it's in His Son that He has spoken and He continues to speak to us in Christ. Which means, why is it that we don't have any more new prophecy and new prophets? Because it's done. Because God doesn't speak through the prophets anymore. Now He speaks in His Son. He has spoken, and so this point in history when he began speaking in a different way than all the times in the past, this new way is still in place. So as we are looking for the words of God, what God is speaking to our lives today, he says, this is what I've spoken. I have spoken to you in Christ for that which you face this morning. For that which you face this afternoon. I've spoken to you concerning this, and the words have been spoken in the person of Jesus Christ. He's spoken in His Son. And so we, we wonder, what is God speaking to us? What is God wanting of us? He says, look to Christ. Because it's clear. What's His will? He says, look to Christ. And all the prophets in the Old Testament, it's still the same, that when they were speaking, they were all pointing towards, one day Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming. And so the prophets were all saying the same thing, look to Christ. Moses writes Genesis to Deuteronomy for the purpose of encouraging people in the Messiah. Joshua is written to encourage people in the Messiah, the true conqueror. All these Old Testament books written to encourage us to fix our eyes on Christ. And so this is why we see that there's, there's not a need for new revelation. Because all of the revelation of God is summed up in the person of Jesus Christ. So instead of needing God to update us on how things are going we recognize that He's spoken to us with certainty of how things are. And yet God does speak to us in, in unique ways, whether it's through His Word or through other believers. And I, we recognize that, that God answers our prayers and, and is responding to us individually. But in the big picture of how God is making himself known to us today, he says, I've made myself known in the person of Christ. And so the rest of the book of Hebrews 
is an argument or a, a testimony to the, to the legitimacy of Jesus being God's final revelation. That we don't need to go back to a temple or a priesthood. We don't need to go back to a law. He says, because Christ himself is the fulfillment and the finality of God's revelation. And he goes on here in Hebrews 1 verse 2. He's spoken to us in his son. And then he talks about his son. Whom he appointed as the heir of all things. Through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. As Jesus speaks to us, as the Lord speaks to us in Christ, he says Christ is the one who radiates the glory of God. Christ is the one who is the perfect image of the nature of God. That Christ is the one who exercises authority over all of creation. And while the prophets, they played a role in Revelation, and they, they communicated certain messages, and the angels played a role, and the high priests and the temple, they all played different roles in God's revealing himself to man, and God's means of salvation. He says, that which is the clearest communication is Christ himself. That these are all shadows of what is to come. The substance belonging to Christ. And so we don't look elsewhere. We aren't looking for an angelic vision, a vision of heaven, for assurances that God is pleased with us, that things are good between us and the Lord. We look to Christ to know that things are right between myself and the Lord. And He is so much more glorious than the angels. Why would I settle with something lesser than Jesus? With someone lesser than Christ. So that's what he's getting at here in verse 3. That Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. So much better than a prophet. Than an angel. And so we, we don't want to, we wouldn't revert back to some old means of doing things. An old covenant. You know, we shouldn't be moving on to a different gospel, as Paul warns about in Galatians. Why have you so quickly moved to a different gospel? He says, why would you do that? Why would you revert to the old or look for something new when we come to Christ and we see the full expression of who God is? That God has spoken to us with authority and with finality in Jesus. And so when we when we come to our, our, Christian, our Christianity and our walk with Christ, and we begin to have this sense of maybe growing tired of it being so simple as look to Jesus, and we start to want there to be something more to the Christian life, when we actually stop and consider who Jesus is as the radiance of the glory of God and all that's been spoken in Him, then our inclination to look beyond Christ or to drift from Christ, it's, it's not simply unnecessary, it's just absolutely foolish. It's unreasonable. It's lunacy. 
that we would move from Christ and try to move on to something else. Because Christ is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of God's nature. And I think when we come to the the letter to the Hebrews, there's a number of warning passages in here that people talk about, and and people can get caught up on them, but I, I think these passages they progressively get more severe in their their warning and what they're cautioning these believers in. But the caution for all of them seems to be essentially the same thing. Don't look somewhere other than Christ. Don't be led astray. Don't drift away. Don't trample underfoot that which Christ has already done. But rather, pause and consider that God speaking to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, is sufficient for my life today. I don't need to look beyond Jesus. God is at work. Rather than drifting away, he's going to, near the end of the letter, say in chapter 12, instead, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So that which has been spoken in Christ is really significant. It's so significant that God says you don't need to be looking anywhere else. You don't need to hear anything else. What I've spoken in my Son, Jesus Christ, is enough. So the question then is, what is it that God has spoken to us in Christ? At the end of verse 3, he mentions, When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In Christ, we see that God has dealt with sin. Praise the Lord. But then after Jesus deals with sin, he sits down. And there's something about coming home at the end of the day and sitting down. That's just so pleasant. It's finished. All the dads are like, yeah, I can relate to this. That, that you come after doing that which you were required and called to do and willing to do and the work is finished at the end of that day and you get home and you sit. It's accomplished. And Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and He doesn't sit so that He no longer does anything but he sits signifying that he has taken his place at the right hand of the Father and his work is completed. The work that he came to do is finished. He continues to intercede. He continues to to work in and through our lives. But that which he needed to do for our salvation has been completed. That's what God has spoken to us in Christ. So all that is necessary for your salvation, for your confidence to stand before the throne of God, all that's needed for that has been completed in Christ. It's finished. In Christ, God has declared us righteous. In Christ, God has declared that the Christian has died with Him. 
In Christ, God has declared that we have been raised up to newness of life with Him. These are the things that God has spoken to us. That you have died. And now your identity is with Christ. You are seated at the right hand of the throne of God in Him. That's what God has spoken to us in Christ. So these and so many other things are true today. And this is what God has clearly communicated to us in His Word. That there no longer remains the need for me to, to work in such a way to ensure that my standing before God is right. Because it's completed. God has spoken to us in His Son, and that which He has spoken is the declaration that purification for sins has been completed and Christ has sat down. There's no more work to do in that area. And we, as the body of Christ, get to come and simply accept that which God has said in Christ. But then we get to chapter 2, verse 1. And he says, for this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. He says, we should pay close attention to what we've heard. What what have we heard? Well, he's spoken to us in Christ. He says, pay close attention to what God has said to you in Christ so that you don't drift away. Because if we don't pay attention, or in chapter 12, if we don't fix our eyes on him, then the likelihood is that we're going to drift away. So because of how much better Christ is than the angels, as he talks around chapter 1, and the the Old Testament law, and the Old Covenant, uh, how much Christ is so much better than those, because he's better, and because God has declared wonderful things to us in Christ, he says, so be cautious. Jesus is better. So be cautious that you don't drift. And we think, surely we would never drift. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that there is a propensity for us to look elsewhere, like Peter with the waves and the storm as he's walking on water, that we're convinced of our commitment to Christ. And Peter is such a clear testimony of this in his life, being convinced of his own commitment to the Lord, and yet time and time again, Life happens. The flesh makes itself known. In John Bunyan's allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, there's, there's a, a section there where two of the characters, Christian and Hopeful, they're walking along, and as they're walking, they're on this really difficult part of the path. It seems like the whole path is difficult if you read the allegory, but this one particular part it identifies you know, that the path had a bunch of rocks in it, and it was harder on their feet, and it, they were just really discouraged. So they were really looking for an easier path, because they'd been walking for a while, and they'd gone through a lot of hard things already. And so as they're walking, they notice that there's this, this fence, and beyond the fence is a nice green meadow, and so there's a, a little bridge that goes over the fence. So one of them, Christian, he stands on top of the bridge to see, you know, does this fence run along adjacent to their path for a long period of time? Or not. And he notices there's actually a really easy path on the other side of the fence. And as far as his eyes can see, these two paths run parallel to each other. 
So he's like, hey, we could walk on this really easy path in this nice green meadow, and we'll still be going the same direction as the path that goes to the king's castle. And so he and Hopeful decide, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. So they hop over this fence, and they start walking along this path, and it's so pleasant. But what they don't realize is that, sure enough, as we can all suspect, eventually the paths no longer run parallel to each other. And they find themselves in a really desperate situation, and it's, it's a point where they nearly are killed. And the point that John Bunyan is making in that, in that account is just the reality that we can think that we're walking in step or parallel to the will of God, just making things a little bit easier for ourselves. It's not that big of a deal. We're still going in the same direction, but it's, as he mentions here, there's this drifting that can happen. If you ever swim at the beach, and it's, it's puzzling to us that we can be in the water and we feel like we're standing in the same spot, but when we look back at our point of reference, we re, we've realized that the current has taken us down, down uh, not downstream because it's an ocean, but down the, the beach. That the current pulls us and we don't necessarily feel it, but it happens. And we don't realize it unless there's a point of reference. And that's his warning here, is that we, we see that Christ is better. We see that God has spoken to us in Christ, all that we need in Christ. But he says, be careful. Because as much as we can embrace these things in this moment, be careful that you don't drift. Have a point of reference. What is the point of reference? God has spoken in Christ. What has God said in Christ? In the Word of God. Christ is our point of reference. Christ is the one that we look to to consider where I am with the Lord. And positionally, my standing before God simply cannot change. That when I am in Christ, I am seated at the right hand of the throne of God in Him. And Scripture never speaks of that changing. But in my practice, in my behavior, drifting can happen. My eyes can be taken away from Christ. But we, and so we find ourselves maybe suddenly weighed down with guilt in a particular area of our lives. And as we, as we find that we're drifting and being controlled by guilt, he says, pause and consider what God has spoken to you in Christ. Don't let that guilt control you, but recognize that we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've been cleansed. Maybe we find ourselves drifting in self-righteousness, starting to feel a little proud of how we're doing in our walk with the Lord and seeing other people's relationships with Christ and thinking, well, at least I'm doing a little better than them. And as we find ourselves drifting in self-righteousness, we see Christ and we consider what God has spoken to us in Christ. My righteousness is not found in myself. So there's no reason to boast. 
Instead, I only boast in the cross. Christ is my only boast. The Christian has died in Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ. And so our faith is in all that Christ is and all that God has promised to us in Him. Just as our forefathers looked to that which God had promised, so also we look to Christ and we see that God has promised and made available to us as sons and daughters of God. And so we are called to simply have faith in that which God has spoken. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so I have a few just quick points of of application here. We'll end a little bit early, which will be good. A few things. First, just recognizing that God has spoken and He continues to speak to you and to me today. God's speaking isn't done, but He continues to speak to us. And as we want to hear the voice of God, where we long for being made in God's image, we long for good, clear communication. And God says the clearest communication you can receive from Him is by our looking to Jesus. In His Word, God communicates to us. And... Because of that, God doesn't need to keep giving us updates. His communication in Christ is sufficient. Sometimes we maybe look for God to communicate something else to us because we simply don't like the implications of what we've already heard from the Lord in Christ. We look to God to speak to us anew because we're uncomfortable with what He's already spoken. And because we're uncomfortable with what God has spoken, we say, well, maybe, maybe I misunderstood. And we pour Gideon. And Gideon says, God, I know that you've told me to go into this battle, but look at this fleece. Can you just confirm that you said what I know you've already said? And God is gracious and he's patient with us and and sometimes he he gives us a fleece and he answers our our doubts but it's not necessary it shouldn't be necessary because God has spoken to us in Christ and that word is sufficient and what he's spoken in the past continues to be our assurance for the present. Also, when we are tempted to think that God needs to speak to us beyond Christ Himself, we should stop and consider and remember who Christ is. When we think that we need a further revelation other than Christ Himself, He says, remember that Christ is the radiance of of the glory of God. Christ is the exact representation of His nature. Christ is so much better than whatever further revelation we imagine we would appreciate. He says, 
There's no further revelation needed. And then finally, again, that as these things are true and God has spoken to us in full in Christ, that we ought to pay attention to what we've heard, that we don't drift. This is one of the roles of the body of Christ, encouraging one another. He says in Hebrews 3, day after day, so that none of you falls into the deceitfulness of sin. Because the reality is, it's just, it's part of the body's role to notice when other people are drifting and to challenge and encourage one another to continue to see what God has spoken to us in Christ. And God does this. He, he brings us back from drifting, keeps us from drifting through His Word. Because His Word is just a constant communication of what He said in Christ. And so we thank the Lord, I thank the Lord, that His speaking to us in the Lord Jesus is sufficient. There's nothing more to add. Despite the times that we might wish or be tempted to think it'd be nice to have a clear communication, God says, I've already given you clear communication. This is it. It doesn't get more clear than this. Looking at Jesus. Let me close this in prayer. God, we thank you that as much as we are inclined to to want or feel that we need more information, we thank you that you've been so generous in the way that you have spoken to us in Christ. And it is certain, it is absolute, Lord, that that there's nothing more to be said. And so we thank you, Lord, for, for Christ. And I just pray that, that we would continue, as we so often are reminded and, and need to be, that we would continue to, to fix our eyes on our Lord Jesus. Because it is in Christ that we have our identity, that it's by Him that we've been purchased, that we've been washed clean, as we just remembered this morning in communion, Lord, that all of our lives are wrapped up in who Christ is. And we thank you that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Displaying that it is a finished work. That we can come and we can find rest for our souls. Because of what you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.